Hey, church family. Last Sunday, Pastor John Mark began our study of the book of Philippians by taking us to chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the greeting of the letter, and talking with us about our identity in Christ. Now, in a lot of Paul's letters, after his greeting, he'll follow that up with a prayer. And that prayer is often packed with some of the themes that are going to be unpacked throughout the letter. Now, the prayer for the Philippians is found in verses 3 through 11. And this prayer is a prayer I believe is applicable to us in Oklahoma City in the year 2020, as much as it is applicable to all saints throughout the ages. And so I pray that this this text will be, have a transformative effect by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why don't you join me now in reading verses 3 through 11 of Philippians chapter 1. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of God. Now, the first observation I want to make in this passage is we want is we, we see Paul's affection for the Philippians. We see that in words that we find in like in verse three. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Every time Paul thinks or remembers these people, he thanks God and ex- expresses his gratitude to him. In verse four, he says, "Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with." joy. When he remembers the Philippians, he remembers them with with joy, with with a, a deep satisfaction and even happiness at his memories of them. And when we look at verse 8, we see, he says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, we might ask the question, why is Paul so affectionate toward this church and we have an answer in verses five and six he says because of your your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now now to understand what he's talking about we need to kind of look back at the background of this uh, of this book and this relationship between the philippians and paul when paul first entered the region of macedonia to take the gospel to people who didn't have it uh, one of the first cities he came to was the city of Philippi. And on one Sabbath, he went down to the riverside and saw a group of women who were praying. And he shared the gospel with them. And the Lord opened Lydia's heart to respond to the things uh, spoken by Paul. Lydia was a lady who sold purple fabrics and was from the city of Thyatira. And um, soon after that, for reasons you can read about in Acts chapter 16, uh, Paul and his traveling companion, Silas, get arrested. And, but while they're in jail, 
they sing praises to God and a miracle happens. You can read about and um, they get to share the gospel with with the jailer who's watching over them. And he and his whole household uh, give their lives to Jesus and repent of their sins and trust in him for salvation. And so the church in Philippi begins to grow and the church in Philippi stand with Paul, even in his uh, prison imprisonment. They participate with him. Uh, in the gospel from the very first day. And he says, not only from the first day, but all the way up until now. See, um, Paul is imprisoned and probably imprisoned in Rome. And when the Philippians found out that he was imprisoned in Rome, they took one of their own, whose name is Epaphroditus. You'll meet him in chapter 2 and then again in chapter 4. They send Epaphroditus with some materials and some resources to go in and take care of Paul. Um, to 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 help him out while he's under house arrest, and so so even until now they are participating, partnering in the gospel, and and what we see is that they've been participating through both word and deed. Look in verse seven, Paul says, "It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment." That's deed you came and stayed with me in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel uh, so in in your words as you as you proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ now this is that action of the, the word and deed ministry of these Philippians to to Paul was significant because it was incredibly costly listen to what one theologian talks about when he talks about what it means to to um, visit those who are in prison he says, those who offered assistance to and associated with accused prisoners endangered themselves. The supporters would have been guilty by association. So the Philippians, Epaphroditus, are putting themselves in danger by coming to Paul. They are, they are acting in solidarity with him and his sufferings um, because they love him and they care about him. And so Paul says... Listen, I hold you in my heart. Now, many of us know what that kind of affection is like. If you've ever walked through a difficult season of your life, and some of you are going through it right now, and somebody holds your hand and walks you through it and gives you comfort when you're grieving, then you know something about what this affection is, is like. When you've been faced with with difficult times where maybe uh, enough money to pay rent or to go buy groceries or uh, food for your son or daughter um, are missing or money to pay tuition you can't find. Uh, people come alongside you and partner in that. There's a an affection that you 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 build with those people that that um, isn't a light kind of a thing. This is a, a deep kind of an affection. So Paul has that with these Philippians because they partner with him in the gospel. But this is not just your run-of-the-mill, so to speak, uh, partnering through suffering. Paul calls it in verse 8, he says, I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, in other words, this is not just a human affection, an emotional affection. This is a spiritual affection that I have for you. Now, in the book Life Together, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, talks about the difference between emotional human 
affection. He's called emotional love and a spiritual kind of affection. He says emotional love loves the other for the sake of itself. Spiritual love loves the other for the sake of Christ. Now, I want you to see that Paul's affection, even in the sharing that the Philippians are doing with him, is for the sake of Christ, not for himself. If you have your Bibles or your smart devices, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, where we read about what Paul thinks about the gifts that have been given to him by the Philippians. And he says, starting in verse 14 of chapter 4, Yet it was kind of you to share my troubles. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. He's saying, you guys have been partners since the very beginning. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. But check this out. Not that I seek the gift. Not that I seek the gift. Not that I seek my needs being met by you. Not that I seek the resources that you've sent. Not that I seek the clothing or the money that you've sent. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What Paul is saying is, when you give me a gift, God sees that. And he will reward you. And so I seek your participation in the gospel, not for my sake, but for your sake. And the glory of Christ is going to be seen in you. That's the affection that I have for you, is the affection of Christ Jesus. That is a self-emptying, self-giving kind of an affection. Now, that's one reason why Paul is as affectionate, is because he shares with them with the effect, in the affection of Jesus. He, he shares with them in this communion that he has with them because of Christ. But that's not the only reason. If you look in verse 6, uh, we have another reason, which is where the title of this um, talk comes from. Paul says, and I am sure of this, sure of this, I'm confident of this. Being, the NIV says being confident of this. And the confident of what? Confident of this joy. Confident of this and confident of what I'm about to say. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's saying a few different things here. One thing he's saying is that God began a good work in you. So you might ask, what is that good work that God began in these Philippians? And that good work is the same good work that he began in everyone who has who uh, turned from their sins to trust in Jesus, which is he has justified them. He's given them right standing with God. He has uh, forgiven their sins. He doesn't hold their sins against them. He separated them as far as the east is from the west from their transgressions. He has cleansed them. He has adopted them into his family. He has sent them his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of them as the first fruits of the coming glory they're going to receive when Jesus comes back and makes all things right. He has uh, uh, transformed them, made them a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away, the new has come. That good work that God began in them, Paul says he is going to bring that good work to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And Paul is sure of it. He's going to bring that work to completion. See, salvation is not just a one-time thing. It's not just what happened when you turn from your sin to trust in Jesus. Salvation 
is a one-time event in the sense of justification is a one-time event. You're justified. You're rising before God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But salvation, another term for salvation that theologians use is the term sanctification, which is to be made holy, which is that, that there's a progression that, that as the Holy Spirit works in my heart, I will begin looking more and more like the image of Jesus and, and be, and fully work out my new humanity in a lifestyle that is characterized by justice, by mercy, by faithfulness and love. And that, that one day when Jesus comes back to make everything new, that that inner transformation is going to be fully realized in an outer glorification where even our bodies and all the created world is going to be renewed as heaven comes to earth and, and, and God renews all of creation. So he's saying that I am, I'm joyful. I'm joyful and I'm affectionate towards you. Because I'm assured of this, that, that God is going to, the God who started a good work in you is going to bring that good work to completion in the day of Jesus. What Paul is saying is that if you are, that, that, uh, that assurance of God's grace, if you are assured of God's grace, his initiating grace, his sustaining grace, his transforming grace, his, his completing grace, assurance of that grace motivates Hopeful perseverance in the pursuit of holiness. Assurance of God's grace, his initiating, sustaining, transforming, completing grace, motivates hopeful perseverance in the pursuit of holiness. Another way to say this is that God's transforming grace is what motivates and sustains the pursuit of holiness. Now, this is so crucial for us. I know that sometimes... Uh, when we hear the word holiness, we may think of of boring, confining, bleak religion. But that is not at all what God has in mind when he, when he talks about holiness. When God talks about holiness, he talks about awe-inspiring, liberating, abundant righteousness, which is the fruit of Everything good that God is coming to fruition in the earth and in you. Now, there's evidence of this, especially in the prophets of the Old Testament. But I, I want to, you to kind of grasp this. And, and so I brought um, a quote from the King Center. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. talked about what it looks like when God's kingdom of peace and righteousness and holiness comes to earth invades earth, what that looks like. And he called it beloved community. And here's how the King Center out of Atlanta defines Dr. King's vision of beloved community. I think it's going to be pretty compelling. It says, Dr. King's beloved community is a global vision in which all people can share in the wealth of the earth. In the beloved community, poverty, hunger, and homelessness will not be tolerated because international standards of human decency will not allow it. Racism and all forms of discrimination, bigotry and prejudice will be replaced by an all-inclusive spirit of sisterhood and brotherhood. Now that sounds too good to be true. If South Oklahoma City looked anything like this, people would flood from the suburbs to come over. If any place in Oklahoma lived like this, People will be leaving anywhere they are to go live there because this is a place that is 
filled with justice and equity and righteousness and faithfulness. It's a place that is holy, that is set apart. And King's getting his vision from the prophets of the Old Testament. And this is what's going to happen when the, when the day of the Lord comes. It's going to make everything right. So let's work toward it now. And that motivation to work toward it now is caused by being assured that God's going to bring it about. So the rest of this prayer is Paul praying to God that God would do in the Philippians what he's going to do when he completes that work. He's going to, he, he's asking that God would, would make them a righteous people, to make them a people that look more and more like the image of Jesus. And we'll see why that is in just a few minutes. Look in verse 9. Paul prays, It is my prayer that your love, Philippians, may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. Paul here is praying for these Philippians that they would be a people that are characterized by abundant, overflowing love. But that that love would be characterized by wisdom, by knowledge and discernment by being able to judge right from wrong, and that these people who are, who are walking in love would approve what is excellent. In other words, that they will have a moral and an ethical superiority, not an arrogance, but choosing the high road in ethical decisions and moral decisions. In other words, they're going to be uh, without blame, walking out, love for their neighbors and for their communities. Now, the only way that they can approve what is excellent and, and choose to walk in a way that is, that is good, that is proper, that is fitting, that is um, appropriate for those that are bought by the blood of the incarnate Son of God is if they know what is excellent. So they've got to grow in a knowledge of what is good and true and beautiful and excellent and praiseworthy and lovely. And they've got to grow in discerning what is right and wrong and evil and good, which takes a transformation from the inside. This is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12 when he says, uh, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul's saying, I want that God for them. I want their minds to be renewed, and, and I want them to, to love things that are excellent, that their love is going to grow in a way that is wise and discerning and that pursues what is excellent. That's what I want for these people. But not only that, he continues and says, I want them to be, to be pure and blameless. In other words, not contaminated, not, not falling for the vices of the culture, not bowing to the idols of the culture, but being free, liberated from those things and being without reproach. No one can speak ill of them. I want them in their communities, in their neighborhoods, in the church to be without fault, blameless, not crooked like the culture, but to be, to be straight people of love and holiness and righteousness. That's what I want for them. I want them to be, um, presented in that way on the day of Christ. So I want them to be increasing in holiness so that when Christ comes, he'll find them that way. In verse 11, 
Paul says, I want them to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want these people to be overflowing, not just with love that's characterized by knowledge and discernment and loving and good toward what's excellent, but I want them to be overflowing with the fruit of righteousness, a harvest of righteousness at the wake of their lives is fruit, is blessing, is provision, is the characteristics of the righteousness of God. That's what I want. And and that's only going to come, Paul recognizes, through Jesus Christ. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we can't bear good fruit. But with, if we're united with Jesus, we can bear good fruit. And Paul's praying this magnificent prayer, asking that God, who's the only one who can bring this about, would bring this about for them. And that he would get all the glory. People would see his goodness. He'd get all the praise. He would worship him. Because he was able to do this with a people who, on their own, didn't amount to much. But with him were made beautiful, glorious. Was, um, looking like Jesus. Now, this is a magnificent prayer that I believe is a prayer that challenges us, but also encourages us. Because the motivation for seeking knowledge to approve what is excellent, the motivation for continuing to let my love abound, the motivation for putting away sinful desires and 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 trying to live a life that is holy, is not to earn some kind of a righteousness before God. We, we have already been, been justified. The good work has already begun in us through Christ. So we don't have to worry about right standing with God. But the, the assurance of that grace and the assurance of the grace of completion, the assurance of the grace of glorification, is what motivates us and empowers us to seek God's sanctification now, to seek righteousness now to get after holiness now, to run after justice now, to run after integrity now. And that's what Paul is praying that that God would do in the hearts of these Philippians. Now, at the very beginning, I, I said that this is incredibly relevant for us in 2020 in Oklahoma City, and I believe that is true, that if you are in Christ, and that means that, that means that, that you have been bought with a price and you're no longer your own, but that you have a, 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 a glorified body and a renewed cosmos that is waiting for you on the other side of Jesus' return. And that means that you can live with faithful, resilient joy, bringing as much good to people, as much benefit to the world as possible, in every area of your life. And so what does that mean for us? What does that call us to? I think uh, there's a few things I think it calls us to. I think one thing that this passage calls us to is to center our entire lives on Jesus. Notice that in in both verse 3, the beginning of Paul's thanksgiving, and in verse 9, beginning of Paul's prayer, uh, um, Paul is saying, I thank my God in remembrance of you. In other words, everything that I see happening in you, Philippians, I attribute to God. And in verse 9, he's saying, I'm praying that God would make your love abound. In other words, everything you're going to do to pursue righteousness, I'm attributing to God. God's going to get the glory for all this. 
And so what we see Paul doing is centering everything around the work of Jesus, which is what we should do as well. So we need to center our lives about about Jesus. Second thing I think we need to do in response to this, this text is to be committed to praying for each other. A lot of us are walking through some difficult times. I mean, the whole world is walking through an incredibly difficult time, but for some it's even more difficult because of increased uh, difficulty in circumstances or, uh, or or what have you. And we need to commit to pray for each other. So in our virtual community group, we're sharing prayer requests. And I just encourage you, pray during the week. Um, do like Paul did and, and, and follow up with a letter. Hey, I, I, I've been I've been praying for you. Um, and I and here's what I'm praying for you. I'm praying that your your love for Jesus would, would increase. I'm praying that your um, ability to walk in righteousness would, would, would grow exponentially. Just um, check back in. Pray for each other. I think this is calling us to commit to growing in the knowledge of what is excellent. In other words, get wisdom. Run after what is uh, wise. Saturate yourself in the scriptures. Meditate on the scriptures. Commit to, to memorizing scripture, to filling your mind with that which is true and that which is excellent, that your love and your affection would grow for those things and it would be replicated in a lifestyle that is uh, walking out the commands of the Lord for his glory. And I would say... Uh, let the love of Christ compel you to take risks for love, even this week. What kind of a love risk can you take, like the Philippians did for Paul? Um, they associated with him, even when it was going to cost them something. What cost are you willing to incur for the sake of loving your brothers and sisters in the midst of this, this tumultuous time? Commit to it. Ask God what it might be, and then trust him. Because if we're assured of grace, we have nothing to fear because he's with us to the end. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you so much for being a God who keeps his promises. And thank you for being a God that doesn't fail, whose steadfast love endures forever. We thank you, God, for your promise to help us walk in love, your promise to bring us to completion in the day of Christ. I pray for my brothers and my sisters that um, we would give over more of our hearts to you. We would yearn for each other and for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And you would be glorified as we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.